welcome you again. How many of you filled out your connection card? Okay, please fill one out. You filled one out last week? Great. Fill it out this week? I want to tell you why. We're trying to develop a list of who our Tuesday congregation is because we want to be able to reach out to you, not only myself, but others to reach out if something happens. If you're not here, we want to check on you. Uh, so if you will continue to just fill out that connection card each week, let us know who's here, how we can help you, okay? Okay. Okay? All right. Don't go to sleep on me. I'll sleep with you, okay? <laughs> and for you watching online, uh, we're glad that you're here, and we ask you to hit that connect button. We have an online pastor who wants to be able to communicate with you. Not only that, we want you included in our connections and in our role. And I want to say to you, if you haven't made it back to church yet, listen, we've got plenty of room for you to come and spread out. But sometimes if we lag, we get out of a habit. And you say, well, preacher, what do you mean getting a habit? Well, going to church should become a natural part of your life. And so we want you to come and be with us and rest assured you can be safe. There's a great meal. There's great people. So just connect that. And for you here, if you will drop this card uh, in the offering box along with your offering, uh, we collect them every week, and uh, we want to get that roll. I want to know you personally, and it's impossible from up here, all right? And just remember this, if I don't know your name, there's a whole lot of you and just one of me, okay? All right. For did you know, I I like to bring something fresh to you every week, but did you know that Pastor Joe has been ahead of his time since he was about 12 years old? Did you realize that? Way, 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 way back there when he was 12 years old, he started collecting plastic and paper and glass. I mean, he was very industrious. He'd get his little wagon. I I was going to say horse and buggy, but I'm afraid he might watch this. But he'd get his little wagon. He'd go all over town. He'd collect this, what we call today recycle. Our pastor was way ahead of the time. But right at the height of his business, he left. And somebody asked him, why did you stop? He said it was depressing. (laughs) All right, Joe. You got to give me better material to work with. All right, are you ready this morning? We're going to be in the 12th chapter of the book of Exodus, all right? Entitled my message, It's All About the Blood. In my devotions this last week, I ran across this, and I want you to listen. It's so hard to put things in this life in proper perspective relative to eternity. This world is where we live in society. The context of our existence influences us to focus exclusively on the values of the world. Advertisement and credit card promotions persuade us to to succumb to consumer indulgence. Buy now, pay later. Have you ever heard that? 
appeals to entice us to increasing indebtedness in order to simply get more. Excuse me. Our life tends to be totally devoted to fulfilling our needs, uh, our desires, providing a comfortable lifestyle, uh, accumulating wealth that will last, uh, at least provide security in our later years. Status and wealth are the marks of success according to the world. You know that. But those who trust in riches and wealth accumulate houses and land and receive a claim from the world will die and lose it. It is appointed unto man wants to die. Proverbs, Solomon, when he wrote, he said, The futility of working all your life is to gain riches and storehouse wealth is that when you die, you don't know who's going to get that and you don't know how they're going to spend it. But we spend our way that way. When we die... This body and all the materialism surrounding it will perish. The destiny of this existence is no different than the beast that perish. Nothing is left. Many may think that their accomplishments and successes will assure them a legacy. Their names may continue to be on buildings and businesses and financial institutions. But there's nothing no one can do to redeem his own soul. Think about that. Nothing you can do can redeem your own soul. All our goods, deeds, money, philanthropy cannot counter the guilt of sin and provide salvation and eternal security. One may gain the whole world but lose his soul. Nothing can keep our bodies from eventually decaying and it takes something other than what we do ourselves to guarantee eternal life. Would you agree with me? When I woke up this morning, my body said no. I remember when I was 18, springing out of bed, ready for the new day. And the problem is we get wrapped up in what's around us. And we have this phrase, Pastor, I'm living under the circumstances. And I'm here to tell you that God came and freed us from circumstances. And he has never proclaimed a life that we have to continue living under the burden of society and the circumstances in our lives. The great lie to Satan from the young to the very old is to tell people you can't do this. You'll never succeed. You'll never be free. Satan is always in the negative. But I want to tell you what I found out after 75 years. Failure is only one step in the direction of success because we learn from our past. And so there's no reason for us to not be like Caleb, energetic right down to the end because the greatest issue had been settled in his life. What would happen to him when he dies? And he had placed his faith and trust in Almighty God. You may say, what's that got to do with this? Well, the title of my message, it's all about the blood. We sang about that blood. I've been criticized with letters and other pastors. I was talking with Joe, him also. Whenever we begin to talk about blood, we hear from people and say, you shouldn't preach such a gory message. But I want to tell you, without the shedding of blood, there's no redemption for sin. And the gory message is, without the blood, you're bound for hell. 
So blood is the hope. Blood. Bible tells us the life is in the blood. Our blood flows through our veins, but the blood of Jesus is that life. And there was a guy named Pharaoh that had it all. He was the ruler of the world. Millions of his subjects bowed. All he had to do was say something that he wanted, and he got it. And the problem was, like all pharaohs, all kings, and all despots that have followed, they could never, ever get enough. They would get big storehouses. They would be like the fool that's mentioned in one of Jesus' parables about he looked around at his fields and his crops. He saw all the barns that he had, and he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down all my barns and build bigger ones, and I will rest for many years to come. And God said to that fool, tonight your soul is required of you. Nothing had touched Pharaoh. Nine plagues had wiped out the economy of Egypt. His people now lived in a worse condition than the slaves that he held. But yet he did not turn his head. Oh, he tried to make deals. You remember the deals? He tried to set the standards. The great message in that is you don't, you don't talk to, you don't set measurements. You don't set standards with God. When God says something, there's no sitting down and negotiating. God is sovereign and what he says is what he means and everything he says and everything he does pleases him. God came against that night against all of the gods of Egypt. Because like most of the countries that worship these false gods, they look for fertility. They look for their grain. They look for their substance from these gods that they had created in the mind of man. And yet that night, God said once and for all to Egypt, I am God and there is no other. Let's look at the instructions that God gave uh, to the children of Israel. Then they shall take some of the blood, and this is the blood of the lamb that they would uh, slay for their Passover meal. Take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and the lentil, or the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, Roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They still do this in the Passover. The bitter herbs would be a reminder of their bitter 430 years of slavery. Unleavened bread is because they were not going to have time to let that bread rise. They were making their dough and they were putting it in their dough sacks and they were marching out that night. Okay. Do not eat eat any of it raw or boiled in water. Why? In the gods that they served, in temple worship, they eat animals either boiled or they eat animals raw. He's saying this is something that sets you apart from the environment, the circumstances, and the world that you're in. So you roast it with its head and its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Why? There was no leftovers. They weren't going to be there in the morning. Anything that remains until morning 
you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened. Basically, in the Bible, when it talks about girding up their loins, they had, they wore long robes and they had a belt around them and they would literally pick them up like this, tuck them in the belt so that they could run or walk or whatever they needed to do. Put your sandals on your feet. In other words, get ready because when this meal is over, your life in Egypt is over and this is going to be a memorial towards that. And your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. And both men and beasts and all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be for a sign on your houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. That's such a good verse. They should have wrote a song about it. Wait a minute. I think they did, right? When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. All right. Let's look at why they're doing this. Why are you doing this? It was for a remembrance. What's the remembrance? You shall observe this rite as a statue for you and your sons forever. And when you come into the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, we'll see that promise in a minute, You shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of people in Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Why did they do this? One of the things that is in the Bible so many times is that parents are to recite to their children why you do something. I can remember as a child, and I have great parents, great Christian parents. I love them. But I can remember sometime when I, you know, I get up teenager, 16, 17 years old, man. I'm like outgrown church, right? I got the answers, all right? And everything that guy talks about, I like to do. So I don't want to go. And I'd say, why do I have to go to church? And they'd say, because we have to go to church. And I thought about that over the years, and I try to never say that to my kids. Because, because I have to is not a good reason. Why do we keep the moral law of God? If you have to, then you're doing everything you're doing grudgingly. I'd rather not do it. Mom would say, take out their trash. Do I have to? Oh, I'd get it out, but I'd kick some cans and throw. I mean, I want Jesus in that shed blood that he shed, not just laid down the same moral standards that God had had from beginning time. He put a new nature in us, a nature that desires to serve, to please, and to live out that new life in Christ in us. He has given us that helper, the spirit of God, and he's given us the ability, the the very presence of God in our lives. So why do we do these things? It's because in this issue, that night, we were spared death. 
That night, the tenth plague came. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. You remember one other plague before? He said this plague will be from the throne room to the one that serves in the kitchen. Mention the maid. Here it's from the throne to the captive in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night and he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in the land of Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Think about that. Not a house in Egypt where someone was not dead. Go ahead. And he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go up from among my people. Both of you and the people of Israel, go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. No terms. No terms by Pharaoh. Everything Moses had demanded. I want you to understand, Moses never asked Moses made demands before Pharaoh. This man who had been in the court of Pharaoh knew how to dress to go into court. He knew the the proper court language. And now the one who had grown up was standing before him and demanding, but the demand was backed by God himself. This bless me. Uh, we don't really know what he meant by that. I think he meant, bless me by getting out of here. Maybe ask God to somehow reverse. But you see, it's too late. It's too late. You know, when Paul was talking to a king, Agrippa, Agrippa said, almost, Paul, you persuade me to be a Christian. And, and here's the problem in life. Satan will always tell you, You have plenty of time. That's the biggest lie he tells you. You have plenty of time. I have spoken to people who are 90 years old and talked about coming to Christ, making that commitment. And their words to me are, I'm in good health. I don't think I'm going to die yet. I want you to know from young to old, there comes a non-negotiable day in your life. The Bible tells us, That God knows from the beginning, he knows the end. He knows everything in between. He knew before you come into this world, and he knows when you're going to leave this world. That's not directed to us. And so the fantasy land of which we live, of people who are without Christ saying, I've still got time. In fact, I had one 93-year-old person say, I'm still breathing in good shape. I got plenty of time, don't I? And I said, brother... I pray to God you do, but nobody knows. Never push God. If you learn nothing from the book of Exodus, I want you to learn that God does not negotiate his plans, his purpose, or the life that he has for you. And the thing we as Christians need to understand 
It seems like we, we come to Christ and we live out our years. And then when we get to the years that you and I are in, we kind of put that thing in neutral. And we sit down in our chair and we pat ourselves on the back and we say, Preacher, I've been in the church 40 years, 50 years, 20 years. I've done this, I've done that, and I've done the other. The question for me is this, what are you going to do tomorrow? There's no place in scriptures that says we stop living out Christ in our life. If there is, please come and show it to me. Your ministry just changes. Listen, I've got to the point, I had to hurt shoulders to do it, but I've got to the point when something needs to be moved, I just use my experience and say, young man, that needs to be moved. I mean, for a while I was foolish. I'd say, I'd show these young people. It hurt bad enough. I'm not showing young people nothing anymore except where to put something that I want. We never outgrow our need of a witness. You are part of the largest group of people that you can name in this world. Senior adults. And yet there are people you live by, relatives you know, that have not come to Christ. There are Christians who, for whatever reason, maybe they got mad for the chairs were set or the preacher didn't look good or something happened. And so they just went home and, and they're, they're going to pout. And maybe they'll go from church to church to church. But it's just exactly like I tell people who are divorced and find that mate and want to get married. Unless you get rid of the luggage at that cost you your marriage, unless you throw that behind you, you, this marriage is going to end in divorce also. And you see, we need to put our luggage behind us. That means all of the trophies that we got, all of the Sunday school pins, all of the things that we hold on to saying, I've done it all, now I'm waiting. Listen, we have people to evangelize because Christ is going to come one day. And we here at Tomoka want to make it hard and impossible for anyone to go to hell. And for that to happen, we've got to rouse our Christian army that we have. And we rouse that army with the gospel of Christ being missionaries into your neighborhood, into your family and where you are. Listen, I understand somebody told me this used to have 250 people in it. And then they told me, well, we had COVID. Well, I was aware of that, okay? And I know all these bad things happen. But listen, what is it in our lives that stops us from being faithful to the God who was so faithful to us? Listen, I remember my rotten life. I remember it very bitterly, and there is absolutely nothing I want to go back on. But the greatest thing I think about is how a holy, pure God could justify calling me to him to grant me salvation and life. Why would he do that? But it was because Jesus Christ came and he shed his blood. And that blood covered all of my rottenness, all of my sin, and gave me a new life. For you that don't know Christ, come to Christ. For you who sit there and are Christians, revive the Spirit of God within you. Revive it in your serving. We need a cameraman. We need a couple of people to work on stage. That's just a drop in the bucket of what we need on Tuesday. 
There are plenty other opportunities to serve. And do you know that you guys have the greatest thing that you can give young people? Wisdom and the knowledge of how to use it. I've told my kids, I've got a son, 52, and he's already confessed and asked his forgiveness for thinking he knew it all. But, you know, I still encourage him because he's got two sons and four great-grandkids. We have things to pour out that Jesus Christ has poured in, and we don't negotiate with God. What is all this story about? God's vengeance on a Did he just throw a dart in the map and say, I'm getting Egypt now? You remember 70 people came from the loins of Abraham. Now over 2 million are going to leave to fulfill a promise. But it goes beyond that. This is one more giant step pointing to the Messiah. Jesus Christ, pointing to the side. What do you mean giant step? Well, let's look at the history of the nation. Verse 40 The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And it was a night of watching by the Lord. Don't miss that. God had his eye on the exodus. They just didn't go out there not covered. God had his eye to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout all of their generations. That turned over to the new Jewish nations, the watching for Christ. Their eyes turned not from leaving Egypt, but to the coming of a promised Messiah. That's backed up with the covenant of Abraham in Genesis 15. Let's look at this covenant that God gave Abraham. The sun was going down and the deep sleep fell on Abraham. Okay, what? That God had told Abraham to gather some birds, cut them in half, and line them up. The way people used to make a covenant is they would get together and they would walk through those sacrificed animals and they turn around and walk through which said each person that walked through was in charge of keeping the covenant but Abraham fell asleep and not by chance because it said a boiling pot went through that those birds that sacrifice which means that Abraham wasn't in charge of keeping the covenant he made what that meant was God said I'm keeping my covenant And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that all of your offsprings will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servant there. Proclamation. Way in advance. Where were they going to be servants? Egypt. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. Now, I've had people run to me and say, Aha! This scripture we read in Exodus said 430 years. This says 400. That's not. Usually in the Bible, they round it. You know how we do. When we tip in a restaurant, we round, wind, uh, round down <laughs> instead of rounding up. 
But that's a round number. But he said, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. That was well in advance of what was happening. How did they get the possessions? You remember, God said, go to your neighbor and borrow. They got gold and silver, no doubt clothes. They got everything that they wanted. They plundered the Egyptians because God had told Abraham when he had no kid, all of your descendants are going to be like the sands on a beach, the stars in the sky. And he planted 70 of them and created a nation. That's why blood. Why blood? Well, in the garden, in Genesis chapter 3, the story of Adam and Eve. They sinned, remember? And their eyes, both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they, were, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Let me say something about that. That's man's remedy for sin. You see, when they had sinned and their eyes were open, they realized they were naked and shame come upon them. And they realized shame come upon them because of a sin. And so they said, instead of crying out to God, who always walked with them in the cool of the evening, they said, let's go get some fig leaves and we'll cover our sins. Well, that don't work. They made long, themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to them, to man, and said to him, where are you? Now, God had not lost sight of Adam and Eve. What that means is, Adam, Eve, do you know where you are? And he wasn't asking about a specific location. Do you know where you, you are in my eyes now? Are you aware of where you stand? God knew where they are, were. And he said, they said, I, or Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? <clears throat> Simple question. Later in verse 20 and 21, said the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord's God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. I think I said previous, I believe it was a lamb that he used. But this lamb was slain. And when you look at that, how far in the history of the world are we? We're only in the third chapter of the book of the beginnings, from the very beginning. Uh, Sue, we don't need to bring these verses up. I'll just make note of them, okay? Not only that, but after the flood caused by the sin of the world, Noah, the first thing he did is the offering of blood sacrifice on an altar of one of all the clean animals. Not only that, when they, the children of Israel traveled to the wilderness, they built a tabernacle, a tabernacle. And when they put in the instruments of the most holy place and the holy place, everything that would be used in the service of the Lord, Moses took the blood of a lamb and sprinkled on them to purify them for use of the Lord. And then in that same tabernacle, that offering for sin Blood offering was made. 
Not only that, that was carried over into temple worship. Every year on the Day of Atonement, you would bring your atonement offering. If you were too poor for a lamb, you could bring a pigeon. But the atonement for sin went on and on and on, and man continued to sin. You see, God gave a law that he knew man could not keep. God gave a moral covenant to man that he knew they couldn't prove. And it wasn't that God didn't know, but man is stubborn. In the garden, when God created that man, Adam and Eve, he did something I consider dangerous. He gave them free will to make choices. And it's amazing that right out of the gate, they made the wrong choice. But God has a way. Just as he brought ten plagues against Pharaoh, the land, and all of their gods before he ever got their attention, so God wanted man to know that there is no way you keep the moral law. There is no way that you can honor me. There is no way for salvation except the blood of the Messiah who will come, Jesus Christ our Lord. John was baptizing and Jesus walked by and he said, Behold! The Lamb of God, excuse me, the Lamb of God who will save us from our sins. Why did he say lamb? Thousands of years, millions of lambs offered for the sacrifice of people's sins once a year. And it wasn't working. But John said, there is the one that has been prophesied about. Hebrews 9, bring that up for me, please, if you will. Hebrews 9. Do we have it? Okay. Get these. You don't get anything else. But when Christ appeared as a high priest, Christ was high priest, Christ was king, Christ was prophet, all of the roles in him. He appeared as a high priest of the good things to come. The high priest was the only one that could offer on the holy of holies altar the blood for the sins. Then through the greater and more perfect tent. This is a referral to the tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle in the wilderness. Not made with hands. That is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and cows, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of blood of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That is the work of Christ. Verse 20, we find these saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood both on the tent and on all the vessels used in worship. Remember me telling you, just got through telling you, everything used for the worship of God would be sprinkled with this blood for purification. 
Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into a holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself, look at this, repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood. It's not done repeatedly. One of the great lies that comes out of the word of God is that you can lose your salvation. When you read on in Hebrews, it'll simply tell you that if you can lose the salvation that Christ gives you through the spirit of God, through the calling of God, because of the blood of Jesus, if you could lose that, Jesus would have to come back and get on the cross and die all over again. But he said it is once for all. And it is the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not all your efforts to be good because they fail. Because the best we do, Scripture says, is filthy rags in the eyes of God. But listen to me. That blood was the blood of life. Not of a defeated life. But that shed blood opened the door for the Spirit of God to live in us, the presence of God to live in us, so that when we go through the storms of life, sickness, death, health problems, everything this world throws at us, the Word is through. We go through. We are not stopped. That's why I encourage you, shake off lethargy. Your life is not over. Christ is still lived out in you. There are people that need to see how do I succeed in life. And it's through the shed blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, may I never take for granted your salvation or how costly the redemption of my soul was. The death of the Christ on the cross and the shedding of his blood was terribly high priced for sins of the world. Keep us from being attracted to, to the self-centered, materialistic values of this world. Never let us succumb to pride over our own accomplishments and status as if they mean anything to you. You're our hope. You're our security. You are our salvation. This morning, if you have not experienced Christ as your Savior... I'll be right over here. I want to see you. If you want to come and pray with someone, there are people who will pray with you. But I ask you this morning, do not walk out of this building without without standing before God in what's been said.